The Bible tells us that whoever puts their trust in him will never be put to shame. Amen. Never be disappointed. Amen. Amen. Aren't you glad that we've got a faithful, faithful God? Yes. Praise God. Yeah, you could be seated. You really don't know who he is until you've really, really had to trust him. Amen? Amen. Praise God. So before I get into the message this morning, we do have one thing that we want to share with you. I don't think we've shared this completely on the weekend. Uh, Pastor Matt and Bianca uh, welcomed their new baby girl on January the 27th. Amen. The baby Meadow, Meadow, Maxine, Huber. Seven pounds, 13 ounces, and she has far surpassed that seven pounds, 13 ounces already. Amen. So, Pastor Matt, stand up. Maybe people in the back might know who you are. Praise God. Praise God. Bless, bless family. Amen. How are we doing this morning? Glad you came out. Awesome time of worship. Awesome time of worship. Don't, don't, ever, don't ever miss the opportunity to jump in and worship. I know maybe for some people it might be uncomfortable, and, but man, you get stuff out of worship that you don't get anyplace else. There's an intimacy that develops between you and God. There's a voice of the Holy Spirit that you hear clear in worship, uh, especially when you just, you know, don't be afraid to lift your hands. Well, you know, I never went to church with lifting hands. Well, you're in one now. Yeah. <laughs> it's the first time for everything in life. Amen? Amen? There's just something about lifting up our hands and just focusing and being intentional about not thinking about anything else except him, the glory of his majesty, the unlimited potential that he has and he's deposited in us, all that Jesus has suffered on our behalf so that you and I could have this relationship with the creator of the universe. Amen. Don't ever miss an opportunity right. to just put everything else aside and just lift your hands up and just say, thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you. I pray that you'd be glorified in everything in my life and just, yes. just worship him. Amen? To me, that's the best part of the service. Amen. That's why we put it first, because it's about him. Amen? Amen. 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 So... We're going to finish up this series that we started four weeks ago. Over the past three weeks, we've been studying what the Bible has to say about faith, okay? Now, I want to take my time here this morning, um, as much time as we have. Yeah, we've got a good amount of time. And uh, I want to review some things. I'm not going to assume that everybody was here for all three of those weeks previous to, to this weekend, uh, because this is an important message. It's an extremely important message in the times that we're living in right now, okay? God expects us to have everyday faith, not just faith when a crisis comes, not just faith when the need is great, but faith on an everyday basis. And I think, I believe that the reason that is is that God desires for us to build in us and to develop in us an everyday faith is because then every day we're acknowledging that he's God. Every time you're believing, every time when you get up in the morning and you have an expectation that God is going to be there for you, whether he needs to manifest himself as Jehovah Nisi, if you have a battle that you're fighting, or Jehovah Rapha, 
if there's healing that you're needed, or Jehovah Jireh, if there's a provision that's needed, or Jehovah Shalom, no matter what. There's many, many, many different names. And, and listen, uh, you know, when I first started coming to church like this, the first time I heard the, the word Jehovah mentioned, I went, oh my God, where am I? <laughs> what did I step into? Okay, now understand this, okay? We know there's a very large organization that hasn't gotten the Bible right that goes by that name, okay? That's not, we're not connected to that, okay? I want you to understand that, okay? Uh, Jehovah is the closest that we can come to the translation or to the pronunciation of the way God's name is written in the Old Testament, okay? It's Y-H-W-H. You pronounce it any way you want, you hear many different teachings about it. So when you hear that word, you hear that name, Jehovah, don't let it scare you, okay? We're not going around knocking on people's doors and selling magazines, okay? <laughs> I just want to get that out because sometimes we assume that everybody knows what, you know, what we're talking about. So um, there's so much power in that name, and he manifests himself in so many different areas of our life. And let's face it, on an everyday basis, we might need him one day to be the one who fights our battles. <laughs> We might need him one day to be the one who heals our bodies. We might need him one day to be the one who brings us peace. We might need him one day to be the one to bring us uh, provision, whatever was needed. There's many other names. We, there's days that we need to be reminded that he is our righteousness. Amen. Amen. He's Jehovah Sidkenu. Okay, there's all these different names. There, every one of those is not a different God. It's a, another facet of the way God has introduced himself to his people. Amen? Amen? So let's develop an everyday faith. Now, we started out this series three weeks ago. We talked about how God knows how to get things to us that we need. He knows that. He knows your needs, okay? There is nothing that is escaping his attention. Well, pastor, I don't know. Maybe God forgot about me. No, God didn't forget about you, okay? God's looking for your cooperation, Thank you. I said, God did not forget about you. God is looking for your cooperation. Okay, that is the honor and the privilege that he gives us. He allows us to cooperate with him so that when, when the need is met or when the healing takes place or when the peace is found or when whatever, whatever the manifestation is of, the, of what you've been praying for, when that happens, you and I have the honor of knowing, wow, I worked together with the God of the universe, the one who created everything seen and unseen, and this is the result. Amen? Amen. He loves us. He doesn't want us to be like useless robots just thrown to the side. He wants us very much involved with him in the business of the kingdom of God. Now, you should consider that an honor. You should consider that an honor. And so he wants us to develop this everyday faith. We talked about in the book of Exodus how the people needed nourishment. They needed food. They came out of Egypt. They're, they're, they're in the desert. They're heading towards the promised land. And in the desert, a desert is made up of what? Sand. sand. You can't eat sand, okay? And so they're believing God for provision. And so we saw that along the way, some of them began to grumble and complain, okay? And, and God began to provide for them and gave Moses instruction to give to the people, and said to them, uh, you're going to go every morning. I'm paraphrasing this. You can look it up in Exodus 16, I believe it is. Yep, Exodus 16. Okay, there it is right there. And the Israelites were puzzled when they saw it. And they said, what is it? In Hebrew, the word is manna. Manna, manna means what is it? 
Okay, and they asked each other and had no idea what it was. And Moses told them, it is the food that the Lord has given you to eat. Okay, now, the manna was a method of providing the nourishment. Now, I want you to hear this because this is important. The manna was the nourishment. Manna was the thing he provided them to eat. So it provided nourishment, yes? yes? But the method of delivery was meant to cause them to develop everyday faith. Because every day they had to get up with an expectation that when they walked out of their tents, that they would find this manna, whatever it is, on the ground, and they'd be able to scoop it up, to cook it, make all kinds of recipes, whatever they were going to use it for. But every single day. Now, notice this. Look at me, please, because you're going to learn something here today. God didn't show up with a dump truck and give them a week's worth or a month's worth or what they were going to need for their entire stay in the wilderness. God gave it to them how? Every single day. Enough for that day. Give us this day our daily bread. Okay? You get the connection here? Okay, what was it? Again, the manna provided the nourishment, but the method of delivery provided them with the means to develop everyday faith. So every day, they would get up and have an expectation. I'm going to walk out there, and that stuff's going to be on the ground, whatever it is, but whatever it is, we're going to eat it, and it's going to taste good, and it's going to nourish us. Amen? Amen. Everyday faith. You got that, right? Part two. We learned, and this, this was a, a memorable one, I know. We learned that while you're waiting for your daily miracle, don't start complaining. You hear that little mumbling? <laughs> don't start complaining. And don't grumble. Because the thing that you've expected to happen hasn't happened yet. Stay in faith. Hallelujah. Stay in faith. So, well, Pastor, why would you have to tell us to stay in faith? Because sometimes if you don't stay in faith, you'll let doubt creep in. You'll let voices creep in. You'll let human reasoning creep in. And you can't afford to do that. Amen? Amen. And now the, the, the worst part about it is, and we talked at length about this, if you weren't here, go, go online and go to the archives and find the part two of this message, uh, Faith for Today, Okay. The worst part about this is that, now, nobody in here has probably ever done this, but you might have observed it in somebody else's life. People that grumble and complain and mumble will affect other people's faith. Let's say it again. Let's say it again. Maybe I'll come over, over here. Maybe I'll come over here. You might know somebody who mumbles and grumbles and, and, and you may know that person, and let me tell you something, okay? If you're not careful, especially, don't ever be one of those, because you don't want to be responsible for undermining somebody else's faith, okay? Grumbling and mumbling and complaining never gets anybody anywhere closer to God. If anything, it pulls them away from God. So, Exodus chapter 15. Now, the people just come out of the Red Sea. They've just, they traveled in the desert for three days. Only three days, 72 hours from the Red Sea parting. Greatest miracle that these people have ever seen in their lives. 
And what happens? Only three days later, they're grumbling, they're complaining, because they came to an oasis. The oasis was bitter. The water was not drinkable. And so they began to complain. And if you were here, you remember the story. Okay? And when they complained, they turned against Moses. Like it was Moses' fault that the water was no good to drink. And that's what happens. When you hang around with people who are grumblers and mumblers, they're always going to assign blame to somebody. Come on, let it sink in, let it sink in, let it sink in. You don't want to be a mumbler. You don't want to be a grumbler, okay? Hallelujah. Now, they came to this well, or this oasis, and it was bitter to drink. Moses was the only sensible person in that whole group. And Bible commentators tell us it could have been anywhere from two to two and a half million people. Could you, you imagine what it sounded like to have two million people grumbling and mumbling and complaining? <laughs> Moses, the only one who had any common sense. What did he do? It says he went and cried out to the Lord. Because he was the only one that was going to be able to do anything about that water. Are you listening? Yes. He's the only one that could do anything. There's times in your life and my life, he's the only one that's going to be able to do anything. There's no use going to talk to anybody else. There's no use calling 16 people to pray. There's no use to doing, don't, don't, don't get into human works and trying to t- squeeze things out and trying to twist God's arm. God's arm doesn't need to be twisted. Amen. Everything that you and I are ever going to need, he's already provided for. Amen. He's not making anything new. I don't know if you realize that. He's not making anything new. He's already, when he flung the universe into existence, everything that was ever necessary, every element... Was, was created at that point in time to the words that God spoke. Everything you're ever going to need has already been taken care of. Every, every healing you'll ever need, every provision you'll ever need, all peace, direction, all freedom and liberty, everything you're going to need, God has already provided for. Thank you, Lord. you just have to get up, get out of your tent, and go get it. Amen. You receive it by faith. Are you listening to me? Don't make the mistake of thinking that God's making anything new. He's not making anything new. Okay, he's already done what he's going to do. All you need to do is say yes to it. And so they come to this oasis, and the water is bitter. Now, God had an answer to it, but they didn't know that. Moses was the only one who knew where to go. And he goes to God, and God cries, he cries out to God, and God says to him, and here's another thing. Understand this. When you pray and I pray, we don't get answers. We get direction. I'm going to say it again. Amen. When you and I pray, we don't get answers. We get direction to the answer. Right. Okay? So what happens? Moses cries out to God. God shows him a tree. Okay? Now, you say to yourself, what does a tree have to do with the water? Well, we're going to find out. And God instructs Moses to pluck up this tree and take it and throw it in this oasis, this pond, lake, whatever it was. And as soon as he did that, the waters became sweet. You say, well, there must have been something magical about that tree. No, no. It's what it symbolized. And the tree throughout the scriptures always represents the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Always symbolizes the cross. And so here, now we see, we look back, and we can look back now and get the big picture here. When you introduce the cross of Jesus into that place of bitterness in your life, it neutralizes it. It neutralizes it. 
Now, uh, you got that, right? Yeah. So they were able to drink the waters after, after the cross was introduced into that situation. But this morning, while we were in worship over there, I saw something else. The Lord has kind of like got my attention about something else here. Now, I'm going to read to you from a few more scriptures in Exodus chapter 15. Okay? Verse 26 says, So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And when he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. And there he, God, made a statute, or you could say a principle, and an ordinance for them. And there he tested them. And look at verse 26. If you could put that up on the screen. 1526. There we go. And said, now God's speaking again to Moses now. Once Moses, watch this now, took the step of faith to uproot this tree and throw it into the water. What was it that Moses did? It was a step of faith. Don't you think the people were standing and going, he's off his rocker. What does this have to do with the water? What is this tree going to do with this water? So Moses had to take a step of faith. Step of faith and obedience. I know we don't like that word. We want to think that we got a free pass on everything once we we come into the kingdom of God. Faith is going to require obedience. God gave Moses direction. Take that tree, uproot it, throw it in the water. Once he did that, now God is free to give them the next revelation that they're now ready for. This is important. We, in in our journeys here, in our walk with God, We are going from faith to faith, from glory to glory. And there are times when we qualify for the next revelation. Uh, You're not getting it, I can tell. You qualify for the next revelation, okay? So now go back to that verse 26, please. And he said, who said? God said now to Moses, so Moses could tell the people, If you will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God. Now remember, this is in response to the bitterness. Would you say that? Bitterness. Bitterness, okay? What was the name of the oasis? Mara. Bitter, okay? If you will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, obeying his commands and keeping all his decrees, then I will not make you suffer. It really should say, I will not permit you to suffer all of the diseases Then you will know, excuse me, diseases I sent on the Egyptians. Again, it should say, I permitted on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord who heals you. And if you were reading that in Hebrew, it says Jehovah Rapha. Now watch this now. I've read this for years. And didn't understand the connection between the miracle that took place when Moses threw that tree in the water And God revealing himself as the God who heals you. But watch this. I'm standing here before during worship. And all of a sudden, I get this strong impression on the inside. Wait a second. Bitterness unchecked always leads to disease. Bitterness unchecked will always lead to disease. Proverb tells us it's like rottenness to the bones. Bitterness. Bitterness. He's teaching them way more than just how to get the waters healed. 
And I'm telling you, if you're sitting here today in this room, and maybe through no fault of your own, through tragedy, through disappointments, through betrayals, stuff that you thought was going to go one way and it didn't go that way. It went the opposite direction. Please, for your sake, for the sake of your health, for the sake of your body, for the sake of your family, get rid of the bitterness. Because again, bitterness unchecked will always lead to disease. There are certain diseases that are just responses to our emotions. Are you listening to me? So what happened? Let's back up now. How, did, how was the bitterness dealt with to begin with? What did Moses throw into the, what did he introduce into the equation? That tree. The, the what? The cross. the cross. Listen. Don't you think Jesus had the opportunity to embitter his heart? Yeah. Rejected. Mocked. Horribly mutilated having never committed a sin of his own, yet carrying and bearing all the sins of mankind. You are going to need to introduce the power of the cross in your situation if you find that your heart has become bitter. And I don't care who you are. I don't, know, I don't care how much of the word you know. I don't care if you've been walking with God since you're three years old. There are going to come opportunities for your heart to become embittered throughout life. There's going to be challenges. There's going to be disappointments. How many know what I'm talking about? Any, anybody ever have any of those? Come on. You're going to have opportunities. Don't, don't let it turn on you. Are you listening to me? Yes. Introduce the cross. Amen? Amen? Now, part three. Now, we're going to move quicker now. We learned in part three that faith is a response to what God has already said. And we kind of talked about this a little while ago. Faith is defined as believing without wavering or doubting that God has already done what he has promised. We, when we respond in faith, we know that it pleases God. Why? Because it, it says that we're trusting him. And understand this, okay? I'm, I'm going to keep hammering away at this. What God desires is that we, every day of our lives, would live our life in such a way that it demonstrates that we are trusting God. For us to walk around worrying, for us to walk around grumbling, for us to walk around complaining, for us to worry about, for us to be walking around in worry and concern and panic and anxiety says we're not trusting somebody. We're not trusting. And ultimately, the only one we really can trust is who? God. God. Jesus is the only one we can. Why? Because he's always been faithful. Now, we're going to disappoint each other. I don't know. Has anybody ever been disappointed by another human being here? It's, it's, it's yeah, once in a while, once in a while. It, it's going to happen. But when we train our souls, hear what I'm saying now? When we train our souls to position itself in such a way that we're trusting God, don't know, it doesn't mean you're going to have all the answers. It doesn't mean you're going to know how he's going to do it. It doesn't mean you know when he's going to do it. All you know is you settle in your heart so that your heart doesn't become bitter and doesn't become anxious. Remember, be anxious for nothing, okay? That doesn't become anxious. You've got to establish yourself in trusting God. Amen. Trusting God. How's this going to happen? I'm trusting God. When's it going to happen? I'm trusting God. What's going on? It doesn't look like it's happening. You're, I'm trusting God. 
Are you listening? Amen. Now, just like the manna was the nourishment, and so that meant the need. Trust allows us that time span that passes between the time that we ask for it and the time that we receive it is like the manna that you had to go and get it every day. It gives us the opportunity to develop our faith and develop our trust and develop our souls to the point where, no, I'm not going to take thought saying. I'm not going to worry and complain. I am not going to go grumble to six other people. I'm not going to try to control other people to get my needs met. You know, you ever have anybody, because nobody in here would ever do this. You ever, you ever get to pray with somebody, you got like a half a dozen people praying, and all of a sudden, oh God, I thank you that you're going to meet that need, because if I don't get the check by 12 o'clock today, the house is going into foreclosure. And if I, yeah, my kids need new shoes, and, and we, the car is broke. We, listen to me, write this one down. You never put a demand on other people. You put a demand on the word of God and his promises. If you want to succeed anyway. Amen? Amen. So, what is the evidence? What's the evidence to show that we're actually in faith and we're believing God? It's going to be seen by our words and by our actions. Would you do that, please? Our words. Come on, the rest of you sitting there. Ready? Ready? Our words and our actions actions. If there's somebody next to you didn't do it, squeal on them. It's, I want, I, you need to make this point because there are many people that believe in their hearts, but they never say what they're believing. And therefore, it doesn't come to pass. The Bible tells us, I believe it's in the book of John, that many of the Pharisees and the priests believed in Jesus, but they would not confess him because they were concerned that they would lose their position. So even though they, in their hearts they knew he was the Messiah, but they wouldn't speak it. And therefore, they never experienced being born again. They never experienced a regeneration of their spirit. And all the time, they had what they needed in their hearts. So the evidence that we're in faith is demonstrated by our... You forgot already. The words precede the action. The woman with the issue of blood said, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I shall be healed. She said that first, then what'd she do? She went where Jesus was. Our faith is always evidenced by our... Oh, I'm going home. Stand up, everybody. Our faith is always evidenced by our words and our actions. Thank you. Sit down. Which brings us to part four, the new stuff. Turn to somebody and say, he's at, he's at the new stuff now. Again, again, again. How do we know that Noah was operating in faith? Because he built an ark. That ark spoke of, this was a man of faith. The evidence, the evidence is there. Evidence is visible. Amen? Amen. So, part four. Look at me, every one of you, right now. Say this with me nice and loud. Faith 
is simple. Don't make it complicated. Let's say it again. Faith is simple. Don't make it complicated. Now, I'm going to assume for a little while here that most of us in this room are already born again. I realize that's probably not the case, but the good majority of us in this room are probably already born again. Now, how did you get born again? Did you work something up? Did God say to you, go to uh, the Himalayas and I want you to climb this mountain, and if you climb that mountain successfully, then you'll be saved? Did he tell you that you had to give away everything that you had? Did he tell you that you had to go on some great quest somewhere? Did, did, you, have to, did you have to chop off a piece of your body? What difficult, did he, difficult thing did he give us to do in order for us to receive salvation? We had to believe in our hearts. Now, how difficult was that? It's like getting married. You had no idea what the heck you were doing. Ha, ha, let's, let's look at the process of salvation here. Somehow, the message got to you. Whether it was through a person, whether it was through something written, you might have seen something on the ground, a track with the gospel explained in it, you might have heard something on the radio, you might have seen something on the internet, you might have watched somebody on TV preaching the gospel. Somehow or another, the message got to you. Yes or no? Yes. Now, probably the first time you heard it, if you were like me, first time I heard it, I was 17 years old. My reaction was to mock the people who were telling me, okay? Total heart of unbelief, okay? This is, you're a freak, get away from me, don't talk to me, okay? All right. But however, over the next 10 years, from the time I was 17 to the time I was 27, God never stopped surrounding me. I remember one time I got in my car and I put the radio on, okay? And it was on a Christian station. I'm like, what is this garbage? I didn't put this on here. <laughs> Switch it off, come back to the car another day or two later, it's back on the same station again. Okay? God, what was he doing? He was trying to get my attention. Okay? Now, did I know it at the time? No, because I didn't know God. But I knew uh, something's up here. This is weird. I hired a woman to work in my business. Radical, on-fire Christian. I tormented that poor woman to no end. But her message was getting to my heart. Add to that other things that happened. Now, I didn't know was what was going to be on the other side of my saying yes to Jesus, just like you didn't know. All we know is that we're, we feel like we're on this, this slide and we're just, we're just going towards him and we're being, some, something, some force has taken our hand and is leading us to the cross. And the final thing for me was, and you've heard me tell my testimony, I was catering a wedding for about 400 people. This would have been March, 1984. Okay. And at that wedding, a young lady, actually was the, the bride, who was the bride, this was like a third marriage. She had, both of her husbands had passed, the first husband, second husband. I thought this guy's got a lot of faith marrying this woman. <laughs> She's already buried two husbands. I would have been like, well, I don't know about this. Uh, but so at that wedding, at the reception, which we were catering, her daughter, who was probably in her early 20s, maybe late teens, early 20s, came up to me with a piece of yellow uh, legal pad, paper. 
And she said, the Lord, now mind you, I'm not saved yet. So I'm like, yeah, the Lord. Would you meet him outside? The Lord told me to give this to you. And I, and I took it with that mocking smirk probably on my face until I read it. And on that piece of paper was stuff that I had done in my life that nobody else knew about. Nobody knew about. Stuff that was going on in my life that nobody knew about. And I thought, oh my God, this is real. This is real. And it was only two weeks later that I found myself in a church full of crazy people like us, <laughs> raising hands, singing out loud, jumping, shouting, who's praying in tongues, who's I... It was the easiest thing in the world to get saved. I just acted on what I knew in my heart to be true. Simple. Turn to somebody and say simple. simple. Now, who was doing all the work behind the scenes? Not me. I'm trying to run away from this stuff. Who's doing all the work behind the scenes? God, the Holy Spirit, was depositing, was, was bringing people in front of me, was, was making sure that I got the message. But when you turn around, after you, after you come to that place of declaring faith, okay, April the 25th, 1984, Wednesday night, 9.30, at a little church on the other side of Bricktown, okay? Not too far from here. When you turned around, I turned around and looked back and went, oh, wow, I really got set up for this. It was no work on my part. God was doing all the setting up. Are you, are you getting this? Yes. Follow me because this is good. Now, why is it that after we get born again, then whatever we need from God, we make it complicated? He's the one that's done all the work behind the scenes. He's, don't you think he knew that the Israelites were going to need this manna? Do you think he made it that day? He knew he was going to provide for them. It's already done. Don't you think he knows your life from the time that you were conceived until the moment you take your last breath? Don't you think he knows every single second in those increments? Don't you think he knows that at some point in time you're going to need this, you're going to need that? He's going to have to supply you with, with, with things. He's going to have to supply you with people. Don't you think he knows all those things? Yeah. Why then do we make it harder than it needs to be? All we need to do is say yes to what he's already provided for. Yeah. Are you listening to me? Yes. I, I, I wish I could have some confidence here to know that you're getting this. Yeah. Now Watch. We said that our faith is evidenced by our... Yeah, oh, my God, you forgot it already? <laughs> by our words and our... Okay, so hold on to that. Hold on to that. Our actions, our words, are the trigger that release the power of God into what might look like an impossible situation. Amen. It's your words and it's your actions. That's how it's going to go. John chapter 4, starting in verse 46. That wasn't supposed to happen. John chapter 4, starting in verse 46. So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water into wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. Now, this is, now watch this now. 
This is not an everyday citizen. This is a nobleman. This is somebody of stature. This is someone important. This is, this is an influencer, okay? He's a nobleman in the city of Cana, which the city of Cana is made up of 100% Jewish people. So we can safely assume that this nobleman has been raised in Judaism. Yes or no? That's going to be important. Hold on to that. All right? So, so Jesus came again, again to Cana, and Cana stands out. Why? Because it's a place where he made the water into wine. All right? And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum, which is a little distance from Cana. When he heard, what did he do? What did he do? When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea and went north into Galilee, where Cana is, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he, the son, was at the point of death. So what do we have here? What do we have here? Stop for a minute. What do we have here? We have this nobleman hears about Jesus. It obviously, he obviously believed what he heard because he makes the trip now to, to Capernaum, to Cana, rather, and his son is in Capernaum. Are you following me? I'm not trying to be tedious. I just want to show you the mechanics, how this works. All right? And when he went and implored, he implored him. He implored him. What is another word for implore? Beg. Beg. Okay? Now, if you think that God wants to be begged, you don't know God. Okay? So he went to him, implored him, begged him to come down. Like, you got to come with me. Come with me, Jesus, and heal my son, for he's at the point of death. Now, look at the response that Jesus gives him. Then Jesus said, unless you people, and if we were to say that today, you people, okay? Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. Stop there. Stop there. Who is Jesus talking to? Who is Jesus talking to? A Jewish nobleman. Now, a Jewish nobleman tells us that this is not a man who worked all his life. This is a man who had a life of leisure, which tells us that he's had time to study the scriptures from the time he's a child. Now, don't assume that Jesus would have answered anybody else this way. He's answering him, and he's saying specifically to him, unless you people... See signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. Next verse. The nobleman said to him, Sir, come down before my child. He's not even paying attention to what Jesus is saying to him. Are you getting this? He's he's still not getting it. And so look at what Jesus does. Next verse. Jesus said to him, Go your way, your son lives. Stop there. Watch. You want want me to show you? my belief of how Jesus did this, when I, see, when I read this, you know what I see Jesus doing? Go home. Your kid's healed. What are you hanging around here for? What are you trying to beg for? Don't you know who you are? Don't you know who I am? Don't you know what God's will has been? What are you here looking for signs and wonders? Hold on to that, right? Go your way. I can picture him going like, go your way. Now, he wouldn't have did that to the centurion because the centurion's not a Jew. He wouldn't have did that to the woman from, from Canaan who's looking for a daughter who's demon-possessed. Why? She's not a Jew. 
He's holding this man responsible for the word that this man has studied since he's been a child. And he's saying to him, you're not satisfied with the word. You're not satisfied with the promise. You want me to do something spectacular so you'll have faith for your son to be healed. However, Psalm 107, verse 20, which is where in our Bibles? Old Testament, first covenant, which this man would have memorized. Are you getting where I'm going with this? What does Psalm 107, verse 20 says? He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from destruction. Oh, that men, verse 21, oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Not come here begging me to do signs and wonders. Look at me. The majority of us in this room today know the word of God. But sometimes we're not satisfied to just settle for what he said. We want him to do something spectacular. Do something special for me, God. Make the stars dance in the sky. Send me six black cats across my path. Make an angel appear in my roof and my ceiling while I'm in bed. The greatest compliment and the greatest blessing that you and I could be to God is to take him at his word. Do you see this? Simple, simple. Now, watch. Let's go back. Let's go back. Verse 49, no one said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go your way. Your son lives. So the man, what? Believe the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he did what? Our, our, our faith is evidenced by our words and our actions. Now, watch this now. Watch it. If it was one of us, we would have stood there and went, that's nice. Thank you. And Jesus would have went, but what are you standing here for? Go your way. Um, I'm going to hang around here a little bit more. Uh, he's, maybe, maybe, maybe you think, well, maybe one of the servants will come and tell me what's going on. No, I'm going to... Uh, G- Jesus goes, go, bro, go your way. Your son lives. Thank you. And would have stayed there. Let me tell you something. What would have happened to that kid? He would have died. The father exemplified faith when he did, simply did what Jesus told him to do. Go your way, your son lives. Why do we want to complicate things? If he says to trust him, trust him. He said to this man, go your way. Do you remember the the 10 lepers? You're healed. Go show yourself to the priest. When did they get healed? When he said that? Or when they, as, and and said, oh, so good. And it says, as they, come on, do it. Come on, do it. Come on, do it. As they went, they were healed. Obedience. Obedience really underscores whether we're trusting God or not. Amen? Want another one? John chapter 9. Now watch, watch. Jesus asked this man to do the simple thing. All Jesus asked that man to do was to put his trust 
on a promise that was written down, watch this now, a thousand years before. The Psalms were written a thousand years before Jesus' time, the majority of them. In other words, that promise was hanging in the air for a thousand years. And yet this man comes and hunts Jesus down. Can you do something spectacular? Can you come to my house? Because if you come to my house in person, you know, then something's going to happen. And Jesus is like, go your way. Your son lives. You're making such a big, go back home. The kid needs you. What are you doing over here? Don't you know what I promised a thousand years ago? You've been reading it all your life. Put, put your faith in the word of God. Amen. Are you listening to me? Yes. John chapter 9. It tells us that Jesus was in Jerusalem with his disciples, and they saw a man who was blind. Jesus went over to the man and said, verse 5, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva, which I submit to you, I don't think any of us would want to be there while we're eating lunch, because for him to spit on the ground that much to make clay, it wasn't a poo. It was, a, it was one of them. <laughs> Can you picture it? And he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. Verse 7, and he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which translated means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. How simple was that? How simple was that? Now, it took faith, but he obeyed Jesus in faith. Did the simple thing. Now, imagine how foolish this man must have looked. Now, he couldn't see it because he's blind. He's walking through the streets, spit running down his face, mud in his eyes. But did he care? No. Why? What did he want? His sight. His sight. And sometimes God will tell you to do things that make no sense whatsoever. Be obedient. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. Simple faith does what God says to do in order to receive what God said he would. Are you, are you guys getting this this morning? Yeah. Got to wrap this up. Now, was this a hard thing for Jesus to do? No. No. Jesus is just being Jesus. Why? Because in Genesis chapter 1, excuse me, chapter 2, and the Lord God formed the man out of the dust of the ground. What's clay made out of? Dirt, dust. And the Lord God formed the man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Are you, are you seeing this? This is so cool, so cool. No big deal. Jesus made mud from the dirt, rubbed it in the man's eyes. Jesus is just simply being Jesus. Right? John chapter 1, verse 1. Gospel of John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning. He is who? Jesus was in the beginning with God. Look at what it says in verse 3 about Jesus. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. 
When we face challenges, whether they're big challenges or small challenges, why don't we just let Jesus be Jesus? Why don't we just let Jesus be Jesus? Let him do what he's got to do. Let him, let, him, let him provide for us the thing that you need. Let him be Jesus. Stop complicating things. Stop trying to put dependence on other people to meet your needs. Just let Jesus be Jesus. If he tells you to go wash in the pool, go wash. If he tells you to just go home and leave your problems with him, then just go home and leave your problems with him. He knows about them already. Why do we have to have so much drama? Just trust him. Trust him. Some of you remember me telling the story. I don't remember how many years ago. Thank God it was long enough ago that I don't remember, remember it. Kidney stone attack. I'm sitting in the emergency room at Brick Hospital here. Now, I, I had enough of them up until that point. Thank God the Lord delivered me at every single one I've ever had. I'm sitting there. Just got there. They just put the thing on my wrist. I go sit in the waiting room. Waiting room. It was like purgatory. My wife is parking the car. By the time I sat in the, in the waiting room, I already got the band on, and by the time it took her to park the car, I'm sitting here, and, I'm sit- and all of a sudden it was like, like somebody standing next to me going, what's the matter with you? You know you're already healed. Why are you putting up with this thing? It was like, it was like I snapped up and went, what am I doing? What am I, stupid? And so I, I, I'm not, nobody else is around me. I'm sitting there and I go, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, pain, I command you to go. Kidney stone, I don't care where you go, you're just not going to stay where you are. <laughs> in Jesus' name, I swear to you, as I'm standing here, the pain just went. Whew. My wife walks in, I said, come on, we can go home. She said, you can't go home, you got re- you're registered already. I said, I'm, I'm just going to take this thing. I'm not going to sit here all this time. She, you can't leave. They got your insurance card. They got your driver's license. <laughs> so I went, okay. So they, thank God it wasn't that long. They come out. They bring me, bring me inside, run the test. Can't find anything. Can't, well, that's because you're the pastor. Stop it. I'm a child of God just like you're a child of God. I didn't receive that miracle because I was a pastor. I received that miracle because he promised me that by the stripes on Jesus' back, I was healed. Are you listening to me? I could stand here and tell you story after story after story after story, and so could you. And that's one of the things that we've learned about, to start relying on the track record that God establishes in our life. When something happens to us, we need to go back to that track record. Go, wait a second, don't flip out. Don't have a breakdown. Wait a second. You've been through stuff like this before, and God's delivered you every single time. Amen? Amen. 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 So now, our faith is evidenced by our words and our actions. In the next few minutes, and we only have a few minutes, where are you with your salvation? Well, I come to church. Coming to church doesn't save you. Well, you know, I read the Bible once. Reading the Bible doesn't save you. I mean, it could lead to that. 
Well, you know, I, I see that now that I've been coming to church, I'm a much nicer person. Honey, you could be as nice as anything. Nice doesn't get you to heaven. Faith in Jesus gets you to heaven. So you say, well, I believe, in, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. Okay, well, has it been evidenced by your... You see, the Apostle Paul got a hold of this revelation. He understood the difference between faith based on Moses' law and faith based on Jesus' sacrifice. And in Romans chapter 10, in the very first few, few, few uh, verses, he makes it plain. We don't have time to go there. Under the law of Moses, you have to do. But the law of righteousness, you have to say. You believe. You say what you believe. That is the difference. And I'm appealing to you today. Maybe you've been coming to church for a while. But have you ever evidenced that faith through your words and your actions? Have you very simply declared with your mouth the fact that you do believe that Jesus is the Son of God, Amen. that Jesus did die on the cross, and he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Amen. Have you established with your mouth, with your words, the fact that you claim to believe that God raised him from the dead and that he's alive right now? Have you taken that step? Have you taken that action? If you have not, I'm begging you today. Do not leave this room without establishing that as fact in your life, that you truly believe that Jesus is your Savior. Can you stand up? Because we're going to be dismissed right after this. Will you make that declaration of faith this morning here? Will you do that now before we walk out this door? Will you establish your faith with your words and your action? Please, this is not time for anybody to be leaving. Your eternal destination is decided by how you're going to handle what we're about to say. I invite you to make this declaration of faith. Say this with me, Father. I believe, I believe in my heart, in my heart that, Jesus, that Jesus, he is the Son of God. I believe that he died on the cross as payment for my sins. I believe he rose from the dead. I believe he's alive right now. I believe that he hears me praying. So Jesus, I ask you, be my Savior. Be my Lord. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Thank you for dying in my place that I could have everlasting life. I make you my Lord. I submit my life to you. I turn my, I turn my back on all sin. I want to live for you. Thank you for making me a child of God. And I pray this in your name. Amen. 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 Now listen up real quick. 
if you said that prayer for the very first time from your heart, please, it's so important that you tell somebody. There are people to be up here. You can come up and tell them, I prayed that prayer for the first time. Or if you prayed it as a method of recommitting your life to the Lord. Maybe you said that prayer a long time ago or weeks ago, and you just you feel like today was the day you really meant it. Then please come up. Tell those individuals, we're going to put a Bible in your hands. We're going to put some other material in your hands to help you in this new journey that you just stepped into. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you. Remember, everyday faith is what pleases God. Amen? Amen. Praise God. You're dismissed.